to the people who love you and care about you the most. So try to give them, you know, give them that opportunity to speak and to share what they think about um, and try to actively listen. And don't just listen to answer. Don't just listen to argue, but really try to listen and empathize and understand what they're trying to say. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Uh, Jitsai, please go ahead. First off, I will start with saying Sawatika. Or in Thailand, that is our way of saying hello and our way of greeting, whether it be morning, noon, or night. So to all you listeners out there. So Sawatika to everyone. My name is Jitsai Santaputra. Um, I am a Youth, I'm an energy youth advocate. And uh, professionally, I work at the Lantau Group, which is a consulting company that focuses on the energy market in Asia Pacific. And I am based out of their Bangkok office. Um, on the side, apart from my professional work uh, and my background in renewable energy, developing solar farm and solar rooftops in Southeast Asia, I'm also, uh, as explained before, I'm a youth activist or youth advocate. Um, which means I raise awareness about the importance of youth participation. And whenever possible, I also raise awareness about the participation of underrepresented groups, women and children included, in decision-making spaces, uh, in the the policy in in the creation of policy, in the in areas of power, in the executives, in companies and in organizations. So wherever decisions are being made, I try to advocate and try to raise awareness that you know, young people should be part of the process. And for people who hold the power, for people already in positions of power to give opportunities, to provide opportunities and training and a chance for youth and for women and for underrepresented groups, whether they be minorities or even religious minorities, to be part of that decision-making process. And... And, you know, you you have a training in uh, related to green energy. And, and so yes. can you tell me a little bit about how did that happen? So, so uh, when you grew up, how did that curiosity came about and why are you working in the sector that you're working in now? Yeah, um, I get I get that question a lot. Um, I am by trade. I'm not an engineer. And a lot of people, a lot, the big misconception about the energy sector is that a lot of people are male. That is true. It is, it is quite a male-dominated industry, the energy sector. We see this across, you know, the whole world. But you don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be an energy engineer, electrical engineer to be working in the energy industry. So my background is actually in sociology and geography. So I studied, I finished IB in high school in Germany. 
And while being in Germany, I saw a lot of windmills, I saw a lot of solar farms back, you know, this is like 10 years ago, where renewable energy is not, not very wide ranging and you don't see it very often in Southeast Asia. So being exposed to seeing windmills on a regular basis um, and wind turbines and seeing hydro in Europe, which is a bit more pro-renewable energy and they're quite ahead in relation to Southeast Asia. I was very accustomed to seeing renewable energy. And so when I went to university and I studied sociology and geography, which are my, my the subjects that I was interested in, I always was also interested in energy and what, you know, what, what the energy transition could look like. But I wasn't, I didn't see that as my career when I was in university. But when I um, almost graduated, I did a summer. I interned at a renewable energy company in Thailand. And for that summer, I really enjoyed talking about energy and learning about renewable energy and solar and how it works and how we can really drive the energy transition and drive the decarbonization process in Thailand. Um, so after I graduated university and I was looking for a job, I went back to the company that I interned for, and then they offered me my first job. And that's really how I started my career in the energy sector. So, you know, in that case, I also want to em emphasize the importance of giving people opportunities. Clearly, when I, when I joined the company, um, I had you know, two months work at this company, like in a previous year, but I had, you know, my degree was in energy and it was just my commitment that I had to convince the HR, the company to take me. And I think, you know, I, I that for people who are listening and are, you know, thinking about internships during the summer, I cannot stress enough the importance of internships that can lead you to your first job. And I think, honestly, I think that is one of the hardest things Today, my job at the Lantau Group as an energy analyst was only able to secure this job because in the first job, I was already in the energy sector. So, you know, for any university students or high school students listening, you know, internships, please think about it. I think whatever whatever you choose to do, either you you do the internship, you realize you enjoy it and that's the field you you want to go into in the future, which is great, or you try it and you don't like it, but then you know that that's not the field that's for you. and that's perfectly okay, but it's good to try. I think that's really great advice. The same uh, thing happened actually to me many, many years ago. I had no clue, actually. I was I studied uh, anthropology. I had no clue what to do with it, but during you know, my practical training, I found out, oh, actually, this is this is something that I could do. Um, so you're absolutely uh, right. Jitsai, can you you were saying that you are now an energy analyst. Can you maybe explain yes. to the listeners what does that mean? You know, what do you have to do? I'm only in my sixth month of my job. So I'm still, I would still say I'm still, you know, getting a feel for the, the entire, you know, the entire job description and entire process that I'm trying to do. Um, but what I do a lot of, a lot of what I do is actually making PowerPoints and working with Excel. So really visualizing information for people to understand what we're trying to explain. But essentially as an energy analyst for um, energy markets in Southeast Asia, what it means is that companies, for example, or organizations who want to invest in Southeast Asia and say they want to um, buy a solar power plant, but they don't understand how the process works. 
what the electricity rates, what are the costs, what are the risks, um, the government, how the transactions will be made, how the banking system works. So we as a company essentially help companies understand the market landscape and the commercial potential of the asset of the solar power plant in this case, or companies who want to sell their assets, then they sometimes come to us to help them understand what they have to do. So it's really about helping companies acquire um, acquire assets or acquire other companies, other energy companies um, in Southeast Asia. But what makes me happy every day that I see is that most companies now, when they engage us for, um, for consulting work, it's actually focused on renewables. You know, there's we don't we barely have any discussion about coal apart from de decommissioning existing coal plants. Um, so we see that in the market, a lot of companies are very aware of net zero, the net zero transition and decarbonization of their own organizations. So most, you know, increasingly year on year, a lot of our projects are focused on renewables. And that is so great to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you know so it it's great that you you know work in a sector that you're really passionate about. But then outside of your work, you're also the youth energy advocate. So how did that come about? Um, and you know how do you combine it with your work? And then the third part is what are you doing then? You know uh, we we met during the United Nations General Assembly. Uh, so you are participating in that one in New York. But tell a little bit to the listeners, you know, yeah, those three things. I give a lot of credit to the my my first company that I worked for, um, the company I interned for, and that they accepted me for my first job fresh out of university. Um, the company is called SPCG, and it's a publicly listed Thai company on the stock exchange. And it focuses on renewable energy, focused on solar um, ground mount and also solar rooftop. I say that because it the company itself was one of the first companies to go into renewable energy in Southeast Asia. So the CEO, who's also a woman, um, she's a very she's dubbed the solar queen of Thailand, um, affectionately so because she basically trailblazed um, the first solar farm and the and was able to pave the way for a lot of um, farms that came up after from for other companies as well as our own. Um, well, what's she, her name? Can you mention her name so that people can? Yes, the Google CEO, her? the CEO or the Solar Queen mm -hmm. is her name is Dr. Wandi Gunchonya Hong Dunjaren. Quite, quite a, quite a long name. But if you Google Solar Queen of Southeast Asia, mm. very likely her name will be at the very top. Okay. Um, but yeah, Dr. Wandi for short. Um, she. Uh, she, I would say she was one. She is, she is still one of uh, my idols in in work and in terms of being a woman leader as well. And she was always so passionate about, you know, decarbonizing the company, the energy sector, and as well as Thailand and Southeast Asia as a whole. Back in the days when going to COP was not something that people would want to you know, announce like they're going to an, uh, like a, like the Met Gala. Today, COP is something very people aspire to attend. But, you know, 10, 15 years ago, going to COP was relatively unheard of, especially in Southeast Asia. So 
being mentored essentially by Dr. Wandi has really has really shown me how important it is to really talk about energy. We do in our professional work at the office, nine to five, Monday to Friday, we work on the energy transition. But if we don't talk about it, if we don't share um, our work outside of the people we work with, then a lot of people in the general public will not know the efforts that are being made towards decarbonization. So she always she always taught me, um, Dr. Wadi always taught me that whenever there's an opportunity to share and to also lift other people up and give them opportunities to be involved in the energy transition, always do that. And she would always say, you know, to myself that, you know, that that she gives me an opportunity and then she hopes that one day I can also give other people opportunities as well. Oh, that, that, yeah, that's great. Thanks for for sharing that. Um, just say, you know, you know that um, this particular podcast is a spin-off of a hundred mile walk I've been doing for the last uh, yeah, 11, 10, 10, 10 to eleven times. Um, you know, what drives you in life? So, if you would be asked to walk a hundred miles in a week, fifteen to twenty miles per day, which cause would you do that? You know, is is that uh, you know climate change or something else? So, what drives you in life? I think I think a lot about you know what what drives me. Um, I wouldn't say climate change specifically, but I would say the inclusion of people in spaces that they want to be a part of. You know, I I, I come from a climate and energy space, so obviously that would come in the form of youth and women and minorities being involved in decision-making. But I think this goes for, this can be set in a broader spectrum, right? I think people, youth, and also people who are older generations, people who are retired as well, you know, I recently, I said, um, you know, you're never too young. I said it at COP26, um, you're never too young to be the change you want to see in the world. And I had a friend very affectionately correct me, or too old, she said. And I said, that, that's actually very true. It's not just about age, but it's about anybody who wants to be involved should have an opportunity at it. Not saying that that is, you know, always going to be successful and going to yield the best impact, but giving people opportunities never hurts. And I think that's that's the that's what drives me. And if I could walk tough, listen, and if I could walk with you for a hundred miles as well, and I was standing next to you and then other people around us, I'd want to hear other people. I'd give up other people the opportunity to also share, to also discuss. And I think that's a great learning experience, a lifelong learning for everyone. If you don't listen, you're then all you're thinking about is just what's already in your head. And but if you listen to other people, you give other people the opportunity to share their experience, their education, their knowledge, or even their thoughts or their suggestions, you still have the opportunity, the chance later on to decide if you think it's valuable, if you want to consider taking action on the things that they suggested, recommended, just discussed with you. But if you never give them the opportunity or try to listen to other people, then you know there's no there's no added value to the time you're doing the 100 mile walk.
No, I thank you for that. I, I really appreciate it, and I I, I hope my listeners um, know that that you know listening is really part of this podcast. And and I realized that I was not that good actually in listening. So I I you know I'm more than a hundred episodes now. Um, I'm slowly getting better. I hope so. So um, yeah, I appreciate that you you mentioned that. Uh, just I you know during those. Um, not only the the physical walks, you know, in walking with somebody in you know in in real uh, life, how do you say that? You know, in a real space, uh, but also virtually. Very often, I end up talking about uh, spirituality and religion, and I think it you know it has to do with that walking has something to do with you know you especially when you're walking alone. You get into this trance and you know and and you you start thinking mm-hmm. about why are we here on earth and etc cetera, etc cetera. so the, the the conversations about spiritual spirituality and religion um are often also related to the younger generation and then some of my guests they are saying well the younger generation they are different than the older generation um and then others are saying no they are similar it depends on where, you know, in which context, um, or yes, maybe it's different, but only the fact that the younger generation in many contexts are not going to church anymore, but they're still religious or they're still spiritual. Anyway, my question to you is, mm-hmm. what do you see happening in your community um, among youths in terms of religion and spirituality? It's a very interesting topic. Um, just for the background for our listeners, I am a, I would say I am a practicing Buddhist, but I would say practicing in quite a mild, a mild way, meaning I believe in the Buddhist teachings and I believe in Buddha and the teachings and the practices and karma and reincarnation. Um, but I would say that I don't frequently go to the temples I wouldn't I don't go on a regular basis it would be maybe special occasions um, or or if there's a funeral if there's an like a merit making event for example then I would attend Um, from the people around me from what I can say you know this is from my own experience I do see that the younger generation there's a bigger number of people in the younger generation who I would say slightly actively resist religion Um, not just Buddhism I just I mean in general Um, but I still think they are spiritual in their own way I think I think with the democratization of knowledge and information and access to the internet I think a lot of people are religious or are spiritual in some respects, it's like a pick and choose, not necessarily the whole, the the whole teaching, all of it, but bits of it that informs them, kind of um, grounds their identity. Because I think a lot of friends who told me that they're atheists, how they believe atheists are are completely unspiritual, um, but how they act, um, their moral compass, how they are informed of right and wrong, still very much aligns with people who are very religious or very spiritual or both. So I think at some level, I think just through 
access to the internet, access to information and the vast amounts of information and from other religions as well. I think back in the days when there was no internet, I think if a country was a majority certain, say Buddhism, there's very it's very difficult to access other other information other religious religious information or religious texts. Mm-hmm. Now today it's at the tip at the at your fingertips. Um, I'm not going to make any judgments between if that's a good or bad thing necessarily, but I do think that that allows people, especially the younger generation, to pick and choose parts that they identify or they resonate with at a core. And I think that still largely is impacted by their parents' beliefs and religious, their relig- their their beliefs, their religious beliefs and their spirituality. So I think that was a really long way of saying that I think the younger generation is becoming less religious, um, but that would be very, it would be, I would say it would be incorrect to assume that they are ju- they are just becoming less religious and that's the end. I think it's less religious in terms of a textbook, in terms of what people, if there was a checklist, they might not check every list on a certain religions, but I think they're checking more lists on the spiritual spirituality list or other religions checklist yeah and and just just to check to you know my understanding when you talk about you know your community so what you see are you talking about you know uh, your community in thailand or more about because you are traveling also and you have studied abroad do you consider yourself to be a more of a global citizen or still you know more uh, embedded in in the thai community I would definitely say that my pers- by description just now into the previous question, it would definitely be a more a global citizen, but also very much informed with like the Thai community in Bangkok. But the Thai community in Bangkok with the more international flavor to it mm. as well. I would n- I would not say that I'm a traditional um, Thai youth, but I think I can, you know, decently represent. Uh, amounts of the youth that do live in Thailand. Okay, and and well, last question around this. And how do your your parents then, you know, experience that? So I'm I'm kind of assuming that um, your parents are more traditional Buddhist. Um, so you are not. So how do they react to that? Um, I think I think just just for my family, I think my grandparents very 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 religious. My parents. Also very religious, but a little bit more open and understanding. Um, with my father being a diplomat, we've moved around to various countries around the world. Um, we used to live in Egypt and Kenya as well. So we were very much exposed to like the Muslim world, the Muslim community. We lived in New York. Um, I think which is very open and accepting of all religions as a city. Um, yeah, and we lived in Germany as well, very Christian there. I think my parents are very fundamentally Buddhist, um, but they give me the space to be as religious or as not religious as I choose to be. But I think that's something that they have to accept by, you know, with my upbringing around the world. So they, you know, but we would always go to Thai temples um, or Buddhist temples in countries that don't have specifically Thai temples. So Buddhist temples, when we were in Germany, when we were in um, Egypt, for example. Um, yeah, so we, we've always been 
we've always had um, a religious tendency that my parents tried to cultivate. I think that would be a good way of explaining that. There is a lot going on in the world today. Um, what are some of the things that you worry about at the moment? I think I think one of the things, going back to the idea of walk, talk, listen, I think one of the things I worry about fundamentally is not, you know, I don't want to say climate change or like, you know, war between countries. I think that's that does affect people. But I think some something I worry about is I think a lot of people now, they don't listen. They or they listen to give feedback. And I think that's something that fundamentally as an individual or even, you know, if we want to relate back to COP or climate change, right? As negotiators, for example, if you don't listen and you don't fully take in what somebody else is saying or another delegation or another group, another country, another religion is saying, I think that is a very dangerous time. I think that, that there's a lot of risk involved if everybody's just listening, just listening, not the whole story, not the whole picture, but listening to snap back. I think that's that's one of the downsides as well, coming into a digital age where everybody's attention span has shortened. You know, TikTok, Instagram, everything, everything, all the content you want is being spoon-fed in 30-second chunks. There's a lot lost in that. You know, I think you can see that from the news as well. News articles getting shorter and everything is on demand. Everything has to fight for attention. And in some cases, that's a good thing, you know, for like democratization of knowledge, for example. I think that's a great thing that the internet has brought. But I think the shortening of attention span and the, the unfortunate um, lowering of critical thinking, because the information is so short, so already condensed, but sometimes in the condensation of knowledge or information being shared, because it's getting condensed, there's a lot lost along the way, even before it comes out of somebody's mouth or being recorded on a video, for example. So I think when people don't listen, I think that's a risk. When people don't listen, when communities, world leaders, you know, but I think all that comes back down to as an individual, I think the skill to listen or actively listen with empathy, I think that's something that I want to stress. And I think if people can practice that a bit more, um, if people practice active listening and be more empathetic when we're listening and really try to understand and look from other people's point of view. If you can practice that, and if you're in a position of power or if you're in a negotiations, I think that would be very, very beneficial to yourself, your community, your school, your university, your organization, your country at all levels. Where do you still see hope? Where do I see hope? I actually see hope in, it's going to sound so cheesy, but I think I see hope in everyone. You know, I, I came, I when I read this question coming into uh, this call, I was going to say youth. And, you know, I think that's, that's still true. But I think everyone can do good and I think that everyone I think is in everybody's capacity to do good and to choose to 
do good things for other people at every single scale, opening doors for people, you know, like buying somebody a meal or like, you know, share, sharing what you can afford. You know, I'm a strong believer in like, you know, if you have more, um, build along the table, not a higher wall. And I hope that that, you know, resonates with a lot of listeners as well. And I think when people, especially now during COVID and now going into an energy crisis um, and energy prices going through the roof in a lot of countries, I think we can, we can all relate that times are hard, but no matter how hard the times get or how easy and prosperous it all seems, I think if we're all nice and we all try to do good deeds, no matter how small for other people, I think that's where hope lies. You know, we, we met, um, as I mentioned earlier, during the United Nations General Assembly and, and Climate Action Week. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, during that, that, that week, we, t- we talked a lot about the Sustainable Development Goals. And mm-hmm. it's one of the topics that I really try to, you know, to put to the, to get to the surface that people are aware of it. Um, what do you want the listeners to know about the SDGs, about the global goals, sustainable development goals? Um, what I want people to know, um, whether no matter how young or how old they may be, is I think all the SDGs affect your life, no matter whoever you are, wherever you are, they will affect your life at some level. Um, For example, I personally work on SDG 7, which is the clean and affordable energy. You know, that, you know, people might say, oh yeah, but um, it doesn't affect me. Like I, you know, I don't need to, I don't need energy. I don't need lights. Very few people would say that, but, you know, um people listen to this podcast over the internet the internet if you have no electricity you could not possibly access the internet the internet actually is not independent from electricity so you know i think i think a lot of youths do question that and you know in panels that i have discussed with um high schoolers and i say sdg7 they think of power plants and generation and they think it's so far away from them but you know, yeah, COVID, everybody learns online. Laptops are powered by internet. Your mobile phone is powered by electricity. Laptops are powered by electricity, not internet. Um, but yeah, it almost seems interchangeable, doesn't it? I think, I think today in this day and age, right? But energy, affordable energy affects everyone. Um, and that's just for SDG 7. All the other SDGs, for example, even life underwater, for people who think that they're so far away from the ocean that that doesn't matter, people who eat fish, people who eat seafood, the ocean regulates the temperature of the earth, that's 70% of the earth's surface, for example. So these are just, you know, I think a lot of people feel like SDGs are so far removed from them, from their daily lives. But everybody eats food, for example, there's an SDG for food. So I think it cannot be stressed enough how important it is that people work towards the sustainable development goals and that they are all interconnected. And I think those are very important things to keep in mind when talking about the SDGs and not as very far-fetched concepts, Hmm. but they're actually things that touch everybody's lives. 
Yeah, thanks for that, Dutsai. The, I mean, there are a lot of people concerned um, that we will not reach uh, those global goals before 2030. Uh, especially the last two years have been hard. We did not make any progress. And, and there is a group and a growing group of people who are saying, you know, one of the reasons that we are not um, reaching those goals is that we did not pay attention to the abilities and skills um, you know, that we need as individuals and as community to work on those system changes, because basically that's what we're talking about. So they developed, um, as a result of a survey, the inner development goals. Um, you know, there are five. Um, my question to you, have you heard about these inner development goals? And if so, any thoughts? I have not heard of the inner development goals, but I did look them up just before this call. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so any, um, any thoughts? I, I think, I, it, you know, you were talking about, about listening, for example, and empathy. It seems to be part mm -hmm. of the whole being relating, um, you know, that is also mentioned in, in the, the five IDGs, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, I think inner development goals, I think it's a great, great, great way of calling it. You know, I think studying sociology in university, you know, I reflect a lot about people and, you know, people talk about psychology and it's, and we, we used to say in sociology that sociology is about two people and out and psychology is one and in, but, you know, I think that's just drawing lines in the sand. I think they both interact with each other, psychology and sociology, the individual and the social. So I, so my opinions on the five I, IDGs, IDGs. I think being in relationship to self is so important. I think that's so fundamental. I think all, all five of the IDGs, you know, being, thinking, relating, collaborating, and acting are, I think people underestimate how important it is to be with yourself and to understand and know yourself. I think a lot of people are afraid of knowing themselves and they keep busy. A lot of people, for example, cling to relationships. I think youths, people listening, youths can relate. I think a lot of people cling to their friends, their family, or the significant other. And I think a lot, a large part of that is people don't want to get to know themselves. You know, the world is noisy and you want to be busy and active, but sometimes when the world is quiet and you're by yourself, and you kind of have to reflect internally. And I think, you know, this relating, like IDG3, relating or caring for others and the world, if you have empathy and you have understanding for yourself and you value yourself, you value your own feelings and you allow yourself to feel all the feelings that you have, I think if you can em empathize with yourself, you can, you know, and you care for yourself, you value yourself, it makes it easier for you to relate to other people and to care for other people and care for other people's thoughts, their opinions, their suggestions. And it goes back to being able to listen to other people. Because if you can listen to yourself and understand yourself, it makes it a lot easier when you're listening to other people to see them as people, see their thoughts as valuable as you give yourself value. You also understand other people. You know, you talked a lot about uh, listening um, and then um, in the beginning, you also said, you know, you, you need to, to practice. So how do you practice listening? Well, how do you do that? 
I think practicing listening, I, I think a good way of doing it is when you're with your friends or family and somebody's telling you something. I think it's very common. Maybe if you, for example, you wake up, you go to breakfast, you go downstairs. For example, I live with my parents and I, when I talk to them in the morning, I ask them a question, for example, how are you feeling? Or what are you doing today? I try to listen when they reply and I try to not answer in the first two seconds of silence. What I found is that sometimes they say it and then they have other things that they want to add. But if we answer, or we try to reply too soon, you're not giving them a chance to continue what they're saying, right? Continue their train of thought. And I try very hard to, you know, slow down my own pace. I'm quite a fast speaker and I get that feedback a lot and quite um, snappy and enthusiastic. Um, and so I sometimes rush people to answer and I try very hard, you know, I think I'm 28 now and I still am learning to listen to people. And I think that's, I think the older you get, sometimes you're, you forget that you're still a student. You're, you know, I believe in lifelong learning. I think when you have a degree and everything, you think you know what you're talking about and you're the authority on certain topics or certain aspects because you've been doing it for so long, but then you forget to listen to other people. And even if other people have, you know, a lower degree, a lower education, or like are not in that field, sometimes, you know, ideas come, you know, thinking outside the box or listening to other people because they, they're not formed in a box. And I think that's where a lot of the best ideas are. So in terms of practicing, I try to do with my parents, I think, or people who you're close to. I find that the closer you are to people, the snappier you are, like the snappier you are to answer because you're almost predicting what they're saying, right? You're all, and because you're so close, um, the level of, of respect and annoyance gets a bit shorter. No, I mm. think, I don't think there's an equivalent English word to it, but in Thai, it very similarly goes to kind of like a respectful distance, you know, mm. kind of like the distance you allow, you give. But with family, you know, people snap faster, people get annoyed faster, and then people reply faster because they assume they know what other people are saying. So I try to practice that every morning and every moment that I feel like I know what they're about to say, I try to hold my tongue and try to really listen to what they're saying, even if in the end they prove me right or prove me wrong. <laughs> and, you know, but you try to, you try to hold back. And I think yeah. that's something that people can practice. Okay. I'm going to ask you to listen now to listen to a question of my previous guest, um, and his name is Case Klomp from the Netherlands. So listen, please. Or could you be happy without material comfort? And what and what is happiness then? Okay. Did you hear it? Yes, yes. So could you be happy without material comfort? In all honesty, as much as I want to say I can, I know that I have some attachments to you know uh, I think I would call it a reasonable or a certain level of comfort in my daily life I would you know definitely classify myself as an urban dweller as an urban creature mm -hmm. um, and I enjoy the comfort the the ease and the smooth 
sailing of life with the assistance of technology and access to entertainment. Um, I do enjoy reading a book and being, you know, offline, just being alone. But eventually I do, I wouldn't want to say require, but I almost expect and am greatly disappointed if I'm not, you know, existing in a, a certain level of comfort for myself to function and, you know, create the impact that I want in the energy transition and in my career and everything. So to the previous guest's answer, sadly, unfortunately, I my answer would be, I would still need some level of material comfort. And what is happiness, right? That's the, that's the million dollar question right there. I think mm -hmm. happiness is being content, being content with yourself, being content with the people around you. And, you know, I think happiness, you know, sometimes people think happiness is the lack of suffering or the lack of pain. Mm. But I think you couldn't appreciate or be happy if you never experienced pain or any suffering. But I also, you know, there's a saying that my friend said that I always believe, which is, you know, suffering, you know, pain is inevitable in life. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And with that saying, I do believe that happiness is a choice. You know, there, there are things that, you know, like having a full stomach, having, you know, having full belly, having food, having safety around you, right? There's like a pyramid of necessities. Um, I think those are very real and very important to, you know, physical and emotional well-being. But in the very end, ultimately, I think happiness is a choice. And that's why people, you know, some people say you can't buy happiness no matter how much money you have. If you're still racing, you're still trying to get more and trying to acquire more and you're not acknowledging, acknowledging and, you know, being who you are. I think it's very hard to be happy in the sense of contentment and, and um, satisfaction. So happiness is a choice. Um, and I choose to be happy. I wake up every day, every morning. I tell myself that, you know, today I I will be happy. Today I will have a good day. As Winnie the Pooh says, you know, mm. today is a good day. And that is the start of happiness. If you can have your mindset to today will be a good day, then happiness is within reach. As you said, you know, there are always days when maybe you don't feel that totally so how do you get out of those you know feelings just by saying it to yourself or is there something you do or yeah um i think you know i think we all have hard days sometimes it's work related sometimes it's relationships sometimes family sometimes losing a loved one right um i think those are difficult days i like to classify them as difficult challenging days right challenging for yourself emotionally or physically you know if you're recovering from certain injuries or surgeries for example um but i would say that during the difficult days i still tell myself that you know i'm going to have a good day because during the whole day there must be moments where you can be happy where you can allow yourself to be happy where you can allow yourself to not be sad to not be suffering to be in a positive mental state and to be thankful right i think if there was nothing you know if if you are so ill or you're you know constantly in pain there are moments where you're you can just be thankful that there are people who love you 
there are people who cares about you or there's, you know, or you have a pet that loves you and your pet is happy and healthy and you can share in other people's happiness, you know? So I think there are definitely ways to manage whether that be grief or sadness or unhappiness to give yourself moments of happiness if that day is not turns out not to be the best of days. Hey, um, music is is really important to me, so I always have a music-related question as well. Um, If I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song uh, that embodies Mm -hmm. for a big part what you are about, which song or piece piece of music would that be and why? Oh, if it's a song, I actually... The song that I really like is actually Kesara Sara, like whatever will be, will be. The future is not yours to see, but you know, what will be, will be. I think that is so human. And I think that's that speaks to not just human, but I think the existence of all things on earth, that some things are within your control um, and something is not. And sometimes you need to know the difference. And if you can know the difference, that plays a big part of happiness because you can't control everything. And and um, is that a certain rendition of that song that you like, or you know, you know, or or any any rendition is fine. It's more about the song itself than the artist. Yeah, it's more about the song itself. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know who actually sings. I think it's just a song that my parents always sang to me. Mm-hmm. I know I know that there there is an original artist to it, but I think it is it has been remade by several artists, and it's a very common song. But you know. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I've, I, I, th- I've, you know, these these things always go fast. I have two uh, more questions for you. Um, the first question is your question for the next guest. My question for the next guest would be: Do you think you'd be happier if you could? never be in pain <laughs> and and then my last question uh to you is any message invitation or question for the listeners yeah um i think a message for i have two messages for the listener one i hope that you know everybody who's listened this this far into the podcast you know i'd obviously thank you um But also I'd want you to practice active listening whenever you can, especially with the people you love um, and those close to you and those around you. I am 100% sure that everybody listening understands what I mean when I say people are more snappy or, you know, more annoyed and, you know, their temper goes quicker with the people closest to them. And sometimes those are the people who love you and care about you the most. So try to give them, you know, give them that opportunity to speak and to share what they think about um, and try to actively listen. And don't just listen to answer. Don't just listen to argue, but really try to listen and empathize and understand what they're trying to say. That's one. Um, And the second one goes back to, you know, like the bigger, more climate change and energy related. And, you know, 
I think power balancing, which is if you're in a position of, of power, please think about giving youths or giving, you know, other people, not that doesn't have to necessarily be youths, but giving the giving other people opportunities to be involved in the decision making, in policy making, or even just, you know, setting rules for your company, organization, for whatever organization that may be. Because a lot of great ideas do come from unexpected places. You know, and that could then, you know, in most of my talks, those will be from youths. But, you know, this I think this applies across the board with minorities, with underrepresented groups, religious minorities, as, religious minorities as well, gendered. Um, yeah. Yeah. So give, if you're in a position of power in any sense, does, you don't have to be the CEO to be in a position. You can be like a senior officer, for example, anybody who has any sense sort of power, please think about how you can use your power for good, how you can, you know, uplift other people. Right? So today, if Dr. Wandi, the, the CEO of SPCG, did not give me the opportunity that day to uplift me or to, you know, take me as her assistant with her to COP26, you know, I would not have been at New York Climate Week. I would not have met Maurice. I would not be on this podcast. So there are very, you know, as a youth myself and somebody who received that opportunity and I try to make the most of it. And here I'm advocating for more opportunities for people to access. There's a lot of very committed young people and very people who would be future leaders and you can definitely play your part in helping them. Jitsai, I would like to really thank you for, for today. I mean, if there is one a guest that really walks the talk it's it's you and and then also listen so you're you know you're you're representing the whole title of, of this podcast so thank you so much um yeah thanks for what you do and and looking forward to meeting you you know next time out there at the un conference or the climate action week um yeah keep on doing what you do thank you so much thank you and so that also means goodbye to everyone listening Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.